just think this is this guy is uh, I mean he's like Jim Tressel I mean he just looked like all American guy you know see I'm in Ohio you understand who I'm talking about and they said sir you need to go to to more intense security and they took him back about four different levels into security and he had it he came out sweating and his clothes was all disheveled and he had a horrible time I talked to my wife and she, and, and I, I told her I said I didn't get, because when we go to Disney World, I get randomly checked everywhere we go, you know. And she said, did you get randomly checked in Israel? I said, a bald head and a beard? I'm in the majority here, baby. Uh, but so we go to the Western Wall. Tens of thousands of people. The women are over to the right side because they don't go to pray together, the men and the women. And the men are all here, and they're all praying the same prayer, but they're not at the same place at the same time in the prayer. And so there are some who are up at the wall. You've seen the pictures. They're back, and they're, and they're, it's very calm. And then there are others that it's very, very rowdy. And all of this is happening. It's, it's pretty disorienting. And knowing that there are more than a billion people, a billion and a half people who are desiring to drive Israel into the sea, it's a little disconcerting. But what, when you pause for a moment and recognize what's going on, it's a little sad. Because there in the Western Wall, that is the holiest place in all of Judaism. The Western Wall is not a wall from the temple. The Western Wall is not anything holy whatsoever. It literally is a foundation wall for Temple Mount, now, can you just imagine, this would be like if this church was gone and you all decided that you're going to worship God and you're going to worship at the foundation stones of this church. All these people are gathered there. They're putting, they're putting, uh, they're putting small, piece, small uh, scrolls of prayer in the wall because this is as close as they can be to the temple that's been gone for a long, long, long time. The reality is, Judaism is a dead religion. When we look in Jeremiah chapter 6, we are taken back to a time where Jeremiah is warning the, the kingdom of Judah against dead religion. And it's a warning that in which we must heed these these pitfalls just today as they did then. So we know that the nation of Israel is gone. It's divided into two kingdoms, and the northern kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, is gone. And now the southern kingdom of Judah, they were the ones who were obedient to the Lord. They worshiped in the right place in Jerusalem. They followed after the Lord, and then it all started to change. And now by the time the prophet Jeremiah comes along, he is what we know, what we often call the weeping prophet, because he is warning Judah against the direction that they're going down. He's warning them against, uh, against, the, against the way in which they're worshiping God. And so let's look tonight at these three lessons from Judah about dead religion. What is it that we can learn today about dead religion and we, what warnings can we heed? Well, the first he tells us 
about this dead religion is that they rejected God's call to repentance. Let's look together. Jeremiah chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 16. The prophet writes these words, thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen. Therefore, Hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth. Behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. For what what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba, and what sweet cane from a far country, Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people, and the fathers and the sons together shall fall on them. The neighbor and his friends shall perish. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we look to your word, may we respond to the warnings that you have given to the nation to the kingdom of Judah. Now, Lord, there's much to, much to distract us. There's expectations that we have, but, oh God, as we have looked to your word and we have heard from you, now may we heed the warnings that we find therein. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So what was it? What lesson can we learn from the kingdom of Judah about dead religion? The first is this that they rejected God's call to repentance. It was a call to return to the Lord. That's what, when we think about revival and we think about, uh, about a greater devotion to the Lord, that's where revival begins. There is no way to be revived unless you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. But revival really is just a simple way of saying, how is it that we can repent and draw once again near to the Lord? And this comes through heeding the call. As we look to the pages of Scripture, we we cannot look at Scripture and say, well, we've achieved this, we've checked this off. But rather, we look at Scripture and we recognize that God has spoken. That's what we have in all 66 books. And when we look at this and we say, well, I didn't get anything out of it. We recognize that the problem is not God's Word. The problem is the wickedness of our own hearts. God has spoken. And what is it that he's saying? He's calling us to a return to obedience. And this was a recognition that this return to obedience was intended to bring us into rest. A rest recognizing that he is the one who has saved us. A rest recognizing that the way of rebellion against the against the against what the Lord is calling us to is a way that is not of rest, but rather this way of rebellion is the difficult way, is the hard way. At our church for for some time, we had a uh, we had a ministry, celebrate recovery ministry. We'd have over a hundred men and women show up to our church on a on a Tuesday night. And they, had, they, they were there for various reasons, and there was various motivation for them to come. But 
often the ones who had found Christ through the process would say this over and over. This phrase, we heard this, this little saying over, I was not arrested, I was rescued. That in the midst of all of that rebellion and in the midst of all of that turmoil, in this, in this way of life that, as the Bible says, that there's pleasure in sin for a season, they recognized that pleasure. They saw that pleasure. They experienced that pleasure, but they also experienced the destruction that came. They lost their families. They lost their jobs. They lost their children. They lost their spouses, on and on. And then it was as they started to walk with the Lord, they turned from their sin and they turned to Jesus Christ, and they experienced a life not of rebellion, but rather they experienced a life of rest. Amazingly enough, Though we may live in contradiction to the world, the flesh, and the devil when we're following after the Lord, it is a way that ultimately brings rest because He gives to us a peace that surpasses all understanding, a recognition that we can stand before the Lord and hear, hear well done, not because we've gone our own way, but because we've brought our lives into subjection, into submission to what it is that He has called us to. And so this way, that he, that this way of life that he calls them from is a way, though they may seem, believe it to be fulfilling, is ultimately a way of rebellion. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus said this. He said, but go and learn what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Repentance is not condemnation, but rather repentance is freedom from that condemnation. Too often we think of repentance and when we experience the conviction that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit, we, we, our pride wells up. And when our pride wells up, it tells us, how dare you? I've heard this before. How dare you say something like that? I've had, I, I, there's, a, there's a fellow that comes to my mind, my church. This is a guy living in open rebellion from the Lord. And now I've seen him walk out of many of my sermons, not even for a good reason. And it was because God's word, as I said this morning, God's word contradicts the way we want to go in life. God's word contradicts the way we feel things ought to be. And when we open God's Word and we are honest about what we read, it will rebuke us to our core. And our pride doesn't like that. It will take us off the throne. And that's exactly what we find happening here with Jeremiah. That it is not sacrifice that is desired, but repentance. That's what he's calling them to. And that is a direct contradiction to all that they know. But this call to repentance was a call to heed the warning of the watchman. Look what it says in verse 17. He says, Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen. Now you can just imagine. These, he, he's using the imagery of the guards on the walls. And that as they were looking and they saw the, they saw the danger that would be approaching the walls, these watchmen would call out. They would sound the trumpets to warn them so they could prepare to protect themselves. Well, this is exactly what's happening, what he's saying about the prophets. He's saying the prophets have come, and they have prophesied, and they have warned you about this destruction, and yet you ignore it. 
And then we, then we stand back, and they, they would stand back, and they would say, how has God abandoned us? All along, they recognized it was, or they failed to recognize it was not God who had abandoned them, but rather they had abandoned God. Folks, when we open God's word, we're not always going to hear what we want to hear. But as we open God's word and your pastor speaks, your Sunday school teacher speaks. You get in God's word in your time of devotion. And what you find is not great comfort for the direction that you're going, but rather a rebuke, rather an exhort, rather an admonishment to, to bring your life into submission to the word of God. That is the grace of God. It's not the condemnation of God. And when we look to the Bible, we find out that we're condemned already. And yet, the call to repentance is a call from freedom. It's a call to, it's a call to obedience. It's not a, it is not God's work of condemnation, but rather it is His work of grace to free you from that. So, as we look at the warnings of, of, for Judah of dead religion, that first warning is that they rejected God's call to repentance. But the second warning is that they chose ritualism over true worship. Look what it says here in verse 18 and 19. It says, Therefore, hear you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, and behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my word nor my law, but rejected it. Now, how could it be that a nation, that a kingdom that exists for the name of the Lord could live in rebellion? How could that be? We see it even to this day. I, I am very, very, very pro-Israel. But I have people come to me and say, they say like, it's almost like revelation. Well, you know that the... That the the state of Israel is an atheistic state. And that's like, like I didn't know that. I mean, the, the, the state of Israel that came out of the ashes in 1948 is not the kingdom over which the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign from the throne of David. I mean, we can see that right from the pages of Scripture. They have no king. They have a president who's essentially a figurehead, and then they have a prime minister. They're not one and the same, but they have no king. They have no way of tracing the lineage to David. Why would I bring that up? Because as you think of Israel, it's easy for us to think of Israel and Judaism as one in the same. They're not one in the same but yet they even fail to recognize that. Because when we look to the pages of Scripture, we know that not all Israel is Israel. Who's the true Israel? Well, it'll be those Jewish people who repent of their sins and by faith turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and worship Him. Not those who bow at a wall, not those who worship in a temple, but those who worship the risen King, Jesus. But here in Judah... With this warning, 
they became an example of the nations because of their spiritual condition. And what was that example? The example was an example of rebellion, and it was an example, it was an example of, of their rejection of what God has said. When we look to the pages of Scripture, my friend, you and I can easily be an example of the judgment of God right where we are. Rebellion and living in rejection to the re, living in rejection to to the uh, to the Lord. I mean, my friend, we live we live in a war, we live in a country. Think about this for a moment. We all, we would like to say we're a Christian nation. Well, we know better than that. We're one of the top, if not the number one, producers of abortion, producers of pornography. I mean, we're openly abusing children now. Think of those things. And we look at that and we say, oh, you're just old-fashioned. No. It's an outright total rejection of what God says in His Word. And why is that? Why could that possibly be? Because if everyone in our country, if everyone in our country who claims to be a Christian would just submit themselves to God's Word and follow what it says, we would not have any of these problems. But yet, we go through the motions, believing that somehow, somewhere, God just pats us on our head because of the way that we act, because of the things that we do. But notice what else we find here in verse 20. Look what it says. For what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba, and sweet cane from a far country, your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. You see, they became useless to the Lord because of their godless rituals. You know, I am so grateful to look out and see this great of a crowd on a Sunday night. You have something to be grateful for that this, these folks, all of you would gather here. But you've got to understand, there's no special credit for showing up in this place. You, it is fully possible to show up here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or come to all of this, come throughout this entire conference and walk away just as hard as you did you were when you came. There has to be a willingness not just to go through the rituals, not just to sing the songs, not just to open the Word of God, not just to stand as God's Word is written, not just to pray as those prayers are being prayed. It, the, you have to be willing to open your heart and say, Oh God, what is it that you are saying to me today? What is it that you are addressing in my life today? Am I just going just like Judah, going through the rituals, just walking through this way and, and being no closer to the Lord, walking not in a deeper way, not with a greater commitment than I did when I came? It's easy just to go through the motions and never be transformed in the image of Christ. You know, when we, there, when we stand before the Lord, he's not going, there's not going to be a checklist and say, you know what, you had perfect attendance in Sunday school. Well, good job. It's never going to happen. If our lives are not transformed in the image of Christ, then the very purpose for which we have gathered has been missed. I mean, brothers and sisters, recognize that ultimately the worship that we, give, that we give to the Lord 
is a worship that's to be played out in every part of our life, not just because we've gathered here. The, the music that we, the, the, you recognize that the music that we sing was not even a part of the early church. The early church didn't do that. But why did they do that? Why is it that in many churches we have stained glass windows? Why is it that we have songs? Why is it that we do that? Because it's an attempt to teach us in every possible way, in a multi-century way, what the Bible says. Because we need to get it. We need to get it in every part of who we are. And yet, unfortunately, what happens is it becomes a ritual. We just go through the ritual, just check off the boxes, and we think, well, how quickly can we get out of here? Because I want to get to Bob Evans before they close. You wouldn't say that here. You'd say, oh, I need to get to the river before we close. <laughs> Listen, if you'll take me to the river, I will preach a short sermon, okay? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't say that <laughs> 10 minute sermons all week long and I'm going to be no 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 no. <laughs> but you know we don't ever want to we don't ever want to be guilty of just gathering together having gone through rituals just like Judah and looking at, look at them and say how could they have missed it all the while we're missing it too so they rejected God's call to repentance. They chose ritualism over true worship. And finally, they were stopped in their hypocritical worship. What is it that we learn? The Lord doesn't take this forever. They were put to a stop. Look what it says in verse 21. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people and the fathers and the sons, and together they shall fall on them, and the neighbor and his friends, and they shall perish. So what, what ultimately was that stumbling block? Ultimately, the stumbling block was the wicked nation of Babylon carrying them off. That, that this kingdom went away, ultimately gone away, because they believed that being the nation of Israel being God's people, they would have been protected from anything like that. All the while missing the point that God desired their obedience and genuine worship from the heart more than He desired an outward sign. We can look around us today in America and we can see how could things have got how have things gotten this far? How have they gone this far? Why is it that Churches are all, in general, down about a third. How can that possibly be? All the while, recognizing that we've gone through the rituals just like they did. And the Lord has put a stop to it. Most pastors that I know, most pastors that I know believe that the Lord has, I've heard this, I've heard this so many times, that the Lord is separating the wheat from the tares that the Lord in all of this is winnowing, that, that those who were out on the edge, out on the, on, the, out on the far reaches, and just named the name of Christ now today, have little, if anything, to do with the Lord. I know, I, I, I know in our own congregation, I've, I've gone as hard as I could go to try to trace people, chase people down, try to get them involved again. And I hear this, well, pastor, if you'd go visit them, no. You have to understand the issue is not 
that if I go visit them enough, the issue is unless the heart is regenerate and then that regenerate heart is obedient, it doesn't matter what you do. That's ultimately. You can say, well, so-and-so offended. No, we've got to understand that, the, that, a, that a heart in rebellion to God is incredibly easy to be offended. Because when you're looking, you know how it is. You've been there. I've been there. When you're looking for a reason not to do something, you won't do it. You'll find a reason. It won't matter. So when we look here, we have to ask this simple question. Is your worship for you or is it for the Lord? Is the worship that, that you offer to God recognizing that this worship's not just in this place, but this worship is in every part of your life. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and not being transformed, not being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That the, our very lives are supposed to be lived in an, as an act of worship. And so, is the, is the life that you live, is it worship for you? Worship for you, is it, is, it, is it a worship that's drawing you closer to the Lord every day, recognizing that you need the forgiveness of Christ and you need His grace more today than you did yesterday? Is this a worship for you that's legalistic and there's no signs of grace? That through it you're checking off boxes and you're looking at others, knowing, telling them how they ought to do it and condemning them? My friend, that's legalism. That's not a worship that comes by the grace of God. Is this worship for you that comes without personal growth, that there is no change? If you were to look at your life, are you more like Christ today than you were yesterday? You know, growth doesn't come easily. Growth comes by, by being exposed to the Word of God, bringing your life into submission to God's Word. It comes with the effort of the practice of spiritual disciplines, gathering with God's people, reading His Word, praying. Can I say fasting at a Baptist church? I like that preacher until he got personal. You heard about the river and preaching and Jim Tressel all in the same sermon. Fasting, all in the same sermon. You know, ultimately, a worship that just goes through the motions has no need for Jesus Christ. There's the issue. Because when we open God's Word... We're confronted with the reality that we need forgiveness. That when we open God's word, he's going to constantly, consistently, faithfully address those issues of rebellion in our life. And we can believe that we can go through the motions and put one little prayer, one little prayer scroll more in the wall and think that that does anything. When in reality... Every time God addresses those issues of sinful rebellion in our life, it ought to drive us once again to the cross and the need for forgiveness and grace that comes only in Christ. 
So when, when our brother leads us in worship, we're being exposed to the Word of God, recognizing that I need grace. Because the very words that I'm singing, my heart rebels from. That when we open God's Word, and we hear of the rebellion and the ritualism of Judah, I recognize that I go through that very same ritualism myself. And I am brought to my need for repentance and exposed once again to God's Word. And, 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 and I, I find once again that need for the grace that comes only in Christ. See, at the center of our worship must be the work of Jesus Christ. Again and again and again. It's easy for us to look out and say this is how it ought to be because that sets us up as our own God, believing that we're the ones with the standard of what's good and bad and right and wrong. That heart is a heart of rebellion and rejection to the grace that comes in Christ. So just a simple question. Is your worship for you or is your worship to God that comes only by His grace. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we are grateful for our time together.